you have your Bible this morning, open it once again to the book of Haggai, Haggai chapter 2, where this morning we're looking at the final message that the Lord delivered to the prophet Haggai for the people of God of his day. Haggai chapter 2, I want to pick it up in verse 20 and go down to verse 23. Where it says, Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and the riders will go down, every one by the sword of another. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shatil, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Beloved, as we prepare for this final message, I want to take a moment and just walk back through what God has declared and shared already to the people of God in the days of Haggai because it is an applicable message for us today in the time in which we live. The first message that God delivered to the people by way of reminder to them is a message that needs to be delivered to God's people today and it is this. This is what you can sum up chapter 1 of the book of Haggai. It is this. Stop making excuses and start doing the work I called you to do. That's chapter one. That's the theme of chapter one. Stop making excuses and start doing the work I have called you to do. The people in the days of Haggai had the excuse of saying this just wasn't the right time to make this kind of commitment to the work of God. And of course, their work that they were primarily called to do was the rebuilding of the temple. And their excuses really were a cover for the real problem, the real issue that was deep down in their heart, and that is they didn't really have a heart for seeking first the kingdom of God. The world's worries, the world's ways, the world's wisdom of that day had so gotten their attention It had become the priority of their life. And in so doing, it had squeezed out their time and their interest in the work of God. Beloved, this is a problem that is so common today among the people of God in the church. And God says, stop making excuses. But then he said, but start doing what I called you to do. That's what he said in chapter 1 and verse 8. He says, so go up to the mountains, bring wood and rebuild the temple. And here's at the heart of it there in verse 8, that I may be pleased and that I may be glorified. Again, saying, start living for my pleasure, my glory. And in fact, really what he was calling on them to do, as he's calling on the people of God to do today, is to say, find your pleasure in me. Find your pleasure in life in glorifying me by doing the work I have called you to do. Beloved, No, we 
are not called to rebuild the temple of God, the physical structure. But may I remind you of this truth that we are taught in the Word of God, in the New Testament, and it is this. Then in 1 Corinthians 3, in verses 16 and 17, we are there explicitly told that we, the church, are the temple of God. That is, the people who make up the church were the people of God, were the precious stones that are being built, it says over in 1 Peter chapter 2. Thus, when we are called on, the, the work that God's called us to in the temple of God is being used of God to see the people of God growing and being built up in Christ. The work that we've been called to in the day and time in which we live is to be a part of the witnessing for the cause of Christ, the part of worshiping of Christ, and also the working of the building up of the body of Christ. This is our work. This is what whenever God says to us today by application to what he was delivering to the people on Haggai's day, he was saying, stop making excuses and start doing the work of witnessing and worshiping and working through and with the body of Christ because the body of Christ in the day and time in which we live is my temple. This is what God is wanting from us. And it is my prayer and it is my hope that you will respond to God's message as the people of Haggai's day did to God's message. That they were stirred in their spirit and they immediately began to rebuild the temple. That is, they stopped making excuses. And they just started back on the work. That's what we see as we come to the end of chapter 1. But just about three weeks later, after they had been rebuilding the temple, God knew the people needed another message. And the message, the second message really he delivered to them was this. Stay strong as you now do the work I called you to do. God knew there would be the temptation. He knew already in the hearts of the people that there was this possibility of them getting discouraged. Discouraged because, remember now, they're back in the land, they're back in Jerusalem, they're back now trying to rebuild the temple, but they have also, there are people there that saw the temple of Solomon and all of its glory and glamour and all that was poured into it. And as they're watching this temple come up, they're getting discouraged. They're saying, look, this is nothing like the way it was. And God says, don't get discouraged and don't get distracted. Stay strong in what I called you to do. And he did that in chapter 2 in those opening nine verses by reminding them, here is the essential thing that you need to remember. And that is, my presence is with you. It doesn't matter the size of it. It doesn't matter the glamour of it. I'm just telling you, walk in obedience to me. The most important thing is that my presence is with you. My presence was with you and with the people of God when they came out of Egypt. My presence is now right here with you. My presence will be with you in the future. Just stay strong in doing the work that I called you to do. And beloved, that is something we have to be reminded of as well. That the most important thing is that we have the presence of God. The Spirit of God, as he says there in verse 5 of chapter 2, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Don't fear. Don't fear 
the consequences. Don't fear those that may come against you. And what it is that you're trying to do is you're trying to walk in obedience to the Lord. Just stay strong in doing it. They were having to fight inner battles on the inside of them and they were going to have to fight battles on the outside of them. But he's saying, look, just stay with me. Stay focused. Stay strong. Then three months later, in verse 10, God delivers a third message. And really, this message is two parts. We're looking at the second part of it this morning. But the first part was there in beginning in verse 10. And it, the, the whole focus of this third and fourth message is this. Stay focused on the work at hand. That is, don't drift. Don't allow yourself to get discouraged. Don't allow yourself to get distracted. And don't allow yourself to drift. Stay focused on the task at hand. God encouraged them and gave them in the incentive to do that as we looked at it last Sunday together from verses 10 down to verse 19 by reminding them of the consequences of their sin and the contamination of their sin when they didn't walk in obedience to him, when they chose to rebel against him. He just reminded them of what happened to them. But then he gave them an incentive and notice again with me for just a moment in verse 19. He gave them an incentive to, to stay focused on their task at hand through the immediate future of blessing that he promised them when at the end of verse 19 he says, yet from this day on I will bless you. He says, do you remember what's been going on in your life? Do you remember what's been going on among you as the people of God? You have been out working. You've been coming together to worship. But everything you've been doing has been unpleasing in my sight because it has been contaminated by your sinful rebellion against me of not doing what I called you to do of rebuilding the temple. But now you're rebuilding the temple. And yes, some of the seed hasn't even been planted. Maybe some of it has already been planted. And so you don't know what's going to happen. He says, but I'm promising you right here, right now, stay focused on what I called you to do. I will bless you. You're walking in obedience to me. Just trust me. Trust my presence. Trust my power. Trust my promises. Just walk in obedience to me. And beloved, that is something we as God's people have to be reminded of because sometimes... When we start down the trail of obedience, whether it's personally or even corporately as the people of God, we don't immediately at that moment see a lot of changes. We don't see the fruit of what it is that we're doing or trying to do. And it's very easy to get discouraged because we don't. We, again, we're battling looking back instead of looking forward. And God's saying, look, just, just trust me. I will bless you. And again, basically God's saying, I will bless you as I see fit to bless you. Your responsibility is just to walk in obedience to me. Just follow me. Follow my word. Follow my will. Follow what I cause you to do. And trust me to bless you as I so desire to bless you. 
And beloved, that's what we have to have as well. But notice now as we come to our text in verse 20. He delivers a second message on the same day. It's three months. It's exactly three months from the first message, or the first time they responded in obedience to him. And here what he's wanting to remind them of, to help them again to stay focused on the task at hand. Persevere. Just keep persevering in the work I've called you to do, he says, because I want you to be reminded of the distant future that is there for you. What I promised to you. And that's what he reminds them of in verses 20 through 23. And beloved, throughout Scripture, God uses the promise and the promises for his people in the future. We call it eschatology. The study of end times or end things, the the, the things that are supposed to unfold in the future. God continually and consistently throughout Scripture uses those prophetic teachings as an incentive, as a motivation for the people of God in the present day and time in which they live to walk by faith in Him and persevere. Just keep persevering through it. For those who were here on the Sunday nights as we went through Revelation 2 and 3, you saw this was a consistent theme throughout those chapters. As God was addressing those seven different local churches, he was consistently praising them, encouraging them, and challenging them, persevere, persevere, persevere. But he followed that up with an incentive of, and here's what I promise you in the future. Just keep walking with me, following me, even to your death. Just follow me, but here's what I promise you in the future. You will get to eat from the tree of life. Yes, that's right. We will get to eat from the tree of life that was there in the garden. We'll get to enjoy that. We'll get to enjoy the presence of God. We'll have access to the, to the eternal kingdom. And God will identify with us. And he'll give us authority and all these wonderful blessings. Beloved, this has been throughout really the history of the people of God that God has done this. And let me just show you this for a moment. If you want, you can turn, but I'm going to read for a moment in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to pick it up in verse 8 and read down to verse 16. And listen carefully to how the Old Testament saints, this is recording how the Old Testament saints lived and persevered with an eye towards the future. In Hebrews 11, verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lives as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking, notice, he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead as that, as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number. And innumerable, innumerable in the sand was by the seashore. 
Verse 13, all these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Saying that Abraham, Sarah, the, the Old Testament saints, they were made promises and they were living by those promises. They persevered, kept moving forward, living by faith through trials and tribulations and everything that they faced because they were looking for that distant future, what it is God had promised them. And he said there, notice, they all died and they didn't receive it. None of them received it. Because it's still future and to come. Beloved, may I say to you that for us today, over in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15 there where it talks about the, uh, us being transformed. It talks about our resurrection. It talks about our being glorified. And it says that, it speaks about all those things. And, and it says that and then it finishes it up like this. In 1 Corinthians 15, the reason why he tells us this, these things that are to come, is because he says in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. He says, I'm telling you about your future. I'm telling you about how God is going to transform your life. That you are going to be raised and glorified. You're going to receive a glorified body. You're going to have victory over sin, victory over death. Therefore, because you know all of us, my brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. It may seem like sometime our work and all that we're doing, it just seems like it's, it's all in vain. And God is saying, no, it's not. Just remember the future I have promised for you. Remember what you're going towards. Remember what you're pursuing. And just stay immovable. Stay strong. Stay focused. Now, beloved, as we look back at our text here in Haggai, Something I want you to see is this, that when you look at it in its original context, that the Lord of hosts is declaring here to the people of God through the prophet Haggai, I want you to notice when you read carefully what he says, that he is saying to them that there is a wonderful, bright future in this context, for the people of God in Israel. But I want you to notice he's saying that it centers on one person. And that one person is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a bright future for Israel. There is a bright future for us, the church. There is a bright future for the world and for anyone here in this world 
because of one person, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the promised seed of Abraham. He is the promised seed of Abraham to bless not only the nation of Israel, but as we read back in Genesis, to bless all the nations, all the families of the earth. Thus, those who enjoy this wonderful, blessed future that is being promised here, even those that will be enjoying it as a part of Israel, is those who will actually be the true Israel. That is, the Jews who have been converted, who are not only the sons of Abraham physically, but spiritually because they have the faith of Abraham. They put their faith in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, well, how will this happen? Well, let me just show you something for a moment. First off, Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, is a contemporary of Haggai. And if you look with me for a moment over in Zechariah chapter 12, pick it up in verse 10 for a moment. Here's, he's promising something in the future. Here's how this is going to happen. Verse 10 of Zechariah 12, he says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. Now we know that's to be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're going to mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping of a firstborn. The land will mourn, it says down in verse 12. Every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shimeites and by itself, and their wives by themselves, all the families that remain, every family by itself, and their wives by themselves. In that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for impurity. That's how this is going to happen. And that all comes because of this one who was pierced for them. And who is that? As John says in his gospel, that is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. This all centers on him. What is being declared here will occur for Israel when Israel is saved. And those Jews that are not saved that have not put their faith in Christ and recognized Jesus as their Savior and Lord and as their Messiah, will not receive the benefits of this promise that we see here in Haggai chapter 2. The future for them is not bright. The future is one of darkness and doom and destruction. Brother, this is what our Savior taught himself. Over in the Gospel of Matthew... In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said there was going to be a great tribulation that was going to come, and then at the conclusion of that, there would be the coming of the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And here's what He says is going to happen whenever He comes. In Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31, it says, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one 
from one another. As the shepherd will separate the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And he will say, the king will say to those on his right who are the sheep, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But you look down in verse 41 of Matthew 25, and he says, then he will say also to those who are on his left, those are the goats, depart from me, accursed ones, unto the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. They will not enjoy this kingdom that God has promised. And it has again centered on this one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice something, if you will, for a moment in Haggai 2. Notice who he's speaking to. Throughout all these messages, God has used the prophet Haggai to declare a message to Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the people. But this time, he says, go speak to Zerubbabel. Just go speak to him. And he's, he's wanting to speak to Zerubbabel because of the thrust of what it is he's trying to get across to them. Of the promised one to come. And notice what he says. He says that on that day, in verse 23, declares the Lord of hosts, I will make you Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. He says, my servant, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you. And when you look at those three, really, references that he makes there in verse 23 in regard to Zerubbabel, and remember, Zerubbabel here is the governor. He's the one that is in the place, if you want to say, of the, of the king, of the one that would be ruling. And he's saying, you are my servant, you are my signet ring, which is another way, if you want to say it, you are the one I delight in. You are the object of my love, my care, my pleasure, my delight. I delight in you, and you are my chosen one. Well, beloved, those things all apply to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this for a moment. In Isaiah chapter 42, in verse 1. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah was declaring for us. God was declaring through him. Remember, you're listening for my servant, one I delight in, and my chosen one. In Isaiah 42, verse 1, he says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. And he is the one that will bring forth justice to the nations. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's servant. Jesus is God's chosen one. Jesus is the delight and the pleasure of his Father. He was promising them that on that day, what day? The day that he describes here in verse 22. On the day when I overthrow the thrones of the kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nation. On that day that I overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders will go down, everyone by the sword of another. On that day, he says, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, my chosen one, the one I delight in, and I'm going to establish you. That's what he's promising. Now, beloved, when we read through history, it's clear 
that what's described there in verse 22 and in verse 23 did not happen in the days and times of Zerubbabel. Because it was not specifically Zerubbabel that this was going to happen for. But Zerubbabel was the one there in that place and in that position. Because remember what he's describing here. He's describing about about God intervening and then ruling. And Zerubbabel is the ruler. Remember, you think about the Messiah as prophet, priest, and king. This is talking about his kingship. So he speaks directly to Zerubbabel. And though these things didn't happen in the days of Zerubbabel, they will happen, and listen carefully to this, for a descendant of Zerubbabel. And guess what? Jesus is a descendant of Zerubbabel. You say, well, how do you know that? I can look over in the New Testament in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. And in Matthew chapter 1 and verses 12 through 16, it speaks about there. Shatil became the father of Zerubbabel. And you follow it down and it lands on Jesus. I look over in the Gospel of Luke in Luke chapter 3 and verse 27. And there I'm told the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil. And it goes back to none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is he saying here? He's saying to Zerubbabel, look, as y'all are building this temple, as you're re-engaging the work I've called you to do, I know things aren't totally as you would want them. Because look, there's still a small remnant that's there. And they have a king that's over them, Darius. They have things that are still above them. He's saying, look, just stay focused. I have a bright future for you, and the future I have promised to you will come to fulfillment. And he says in verse 21, look again, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I'm going to bring judgment down. And just again to remind you of this, We read that already in chapter 2. Remember back in verse 6, he says, Once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and also the dry land. I will shake all the nations. And he said in verse 7, And they will come with the wealth of all the nations. And I will fill this house with glory. The silver, he says in verse 8, is mine. The gold is mine. It reminded me of what is said over in the prophet Isaiah's writing. Listen to this. In Isaiah 24, verse 1, it says, Behold, the Lord lays the earth waste, devastates it, distorts its surface, and scatters its inhabitants. He goes on to say over in verse 19, The earth is broken asunder. The earth is split through. The earth is shaken violently. The earth reels to and fro like a drunkard, and it totters like a shack, for its transgression is heavy upon it, and it will fall never to rise again. So it will happen in that day that the Lord will punish the host of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on earth, and they will be gathered together like prisoners in the dungeon and will be confined in prison, and after many days they will be punished. This is what the Lord has said. 
over in chapter 25 of Isaiah. It speaks in verse 6 through 8 about a banquet that is to come, what the Lord is going to do for them. I'm reminded when I think about what he says here in Haggai, and he says that I'm going to overthrow the thrones of the kingdoms. I'm going to destroy the power of the kingdoms and the nations. I will overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders will go down. That is their military power and might that they have. I'm going to defeat them. I'm going to destroy them. And he says, and everyone, even by the sword of another, he's even going to use them to destroy themselves. As I thought about that, I was reminded again of what was said by the contemporary prophet Zechariah over in Zechariah chapter 14. In Zechariah 14, we're told in verse 9 that the Lord will be king over all the earth in that day. That in that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name the only one. We're also told that in that day, down in verse 13, it will come about that a great panic from the Lord will fall on them and they will seize one another's hands and the hand of one will be lifted against the hand of another. And listen to this. Judah also will fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be gathered gold and silver and garments in great abundance. This is what God had promised back in Haggai and this is what he's promising again here in Zechariah. Let me just share one other thing with you in regards to this. In Isaiah chapter 60, remember what we, we read and we thought about there? In Haggai chapter 2, listen to this. Isaiah 60 verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about you and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar. Your daughters will be carried in their arms. Then you will see and be radiant and your heart will thrill and rejoice because of the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of all the nations will come to you. Oh, beloved, listen to what God is saying to them. And he's saying these things to them. Remember why? As a motivation to stay focused, persevere. He's not promising them that life's going to always be easy for them. But he's saying, just walk in obedience to me. Do the work I have tasked you to do. Beloved, by application for us, it's this. As I've shared already a little bit with you, God has promised a wonderful, glorious future for us as well. And by us, I mean the church. And by the church, I'm going to say it as I did with the Israel, by the true church. That is, those who have genuinely put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have genuinely surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. Those who have genuinely been saved and converted. Just as it was in the days of Israel, there were a lot of people who were a part of Israel, but they weren't really true Israel. There are a lot of people that are part of the church, but they're not really a part of the true church. They're a part of it 
outwardly, but not inwardly. And as I said, in regards to Israel, for those that haven't truly repented and put their faith in Jesus as their Savior and Lord and as Messiah, beloved, there is not a bright future for them. There is a future of doom and darkness and destruction. The same applies for us today. If someone, it doesn't matter, if they are outwardly a part of the church, if they're not truly born again and truly following the Lord Jesus Christ and seeking to love Him and honor Him, please understand their future is not bright. Their future is one of doom and darkness and destruction. Their future is one of those that if Jesus comes back, they're going to be separated on the left. They're going to be a part of the goats. And what happens to the goats? They're thrown into the eternal lake of fire. That's their future. But understand, beloved, that doesn't have to be anyone's future who is here today. No one. That's your future because you reject Christ. You rebel against Christ. You refuse to truly repent and surrender and put your faith in Christ. If you will do that this morning, if you will truly fall under the, the blood of Christ, trusting in the blood and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will be forgiven of your sins and you will have this same promised future that I'm talking about here. That is, when Christ comes to rule and reign, you will get to come with Him. And you'll be with Him and you will rule and reign with Him. And you will enjoy this most wonderful, blessed time. And ultimately, you will be with Him in the eternal state of the new heaven and the new earth. But in the meantime, in the meantime, what God is saying through Haggai is this. Keep working. That is, keep doing the task I called you to do. Don't give God excuses. Start doing it. Stay strong in it. Stay focused about it. And your work is to witness, worship, and to work. For the body of Christ, to share the gospel, come and sing and express our love and our praise to our Savior and serve in the body of Christ. Your responsibility is to proclaim the gospel, pray for the salvation of the lost, and also come and praise God together with the people of God and then participate in serving in the body of Christ. Remember, the temple of God is consumed consistent of all the people sitting around you. If you're wanting to build the temple of God, you're going to be investing your life in the people that are here around you. You invest your life in them. And you proclaim the gospel. You come to worship Him. This is what we are called to. This is our task. We're not building a physical structure. That's not our task. Our task is to build the spiritual structure of the people of God and what he has us here to do. And I pray, I pray that you and I will respond not as the way the people typically responded to the prophets and to the word of God, 
which was to harden their hearts and become indifferent to what God was saying. But I pray we will respond as the the way the people responded to in a rare way in some sense through the prophet Haggai and they responded in loving obedience of reverence to God. And they started and they stayed with the task at hand. For some of you, you may need to start. Some of you, you've started but you need to stay with it. Some of you need just to get in on the the right team, the right place. You need to put your faith in Christ. Whatever it is, whatever it may be, God has given us all the incentive for us to walk in obedience to him. I want to ask you to bow your head in prayer for a moment.